gaan het. Ik heb gezien die praat allemaal Afrikaans hier binnen. Er is één hand. Ik kan horen hoe de andere mensen cursing me. Wat taal is dat? Het is goed om met je te zijn. Ik ben hier. Ik kan niet meer was het dit jaar of laatste jaar. Het voelt like forever. Mijn vrouw en ik. We just came back from Europe for a month and a half. We've been starting in Holland and Denmark and then to Faroe Islands. And I've just been preaching all the time. And I was hoping when I come back, I, I'll take a sabbatical rest. And then uh, Pastor phoned me and says, oh, do you remember? You're speaking Sunday. And uh, it's, it's really good. I have my handsome son here, Michael Andrew. It's good to have him here. He's not as handsome as I am, but you know. <laughs> Um, it's a pleasure. My wife, when we came back, she's not feeling well, and uh, um, I've been with her to the doctor for probably three doctors, and yesterday to the hospital. So you can pray for her. She picked up a, a lower back and then a muscle, and she's been so much in pain and used a lot of pills, and that causes a lot of challenges. Uh, many people, when we talk about the book of Romans, uh, some of the scholars would say this is one of the most powerful books within the New Testament. And uh, it's a book that where you can see the heart of God and how he reaches out to us. It's a book of reconciliation uh, between God and man and man to man. Now, of course, when we journey through the book, each one of us, including you probably, you have already picked up some themes, the righteousness of God, and so on and so on. Now, to do a little bit justice of the verses that I will be covering today, I, I just want to summarize chapter 1. And I know last week you started, Pastor, am I right? Last week you started with Romans chapter 1. If you haven't read it, man, it's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful book to see how Jesus is reaching out to us. And these biblical scholars would tell us that perhaps uh, Paul was in Corinth when he wrote the book. And uh, he was encouraging the church. And, 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 and then he, he's writing this book to the church in, in Romans. And I, I love how in chapter 1 he introduces himself by coming, and I know you've done it, I'm just want to give you context before I go to the verses, we will. And in chapter 1, verses 1, and he says, hey, uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm an apostle, but I'm called by God. And I like the New Testament, the, 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 the easy English Bible, because it puts it differently. He says, I, I've, been, I've been asked to tell the good news. I've been asked to tell the good news. And what is the good news? Romans chapter 1, and Pastor mentioned it, verses 16, where Paul is saying that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's a power. And I'm thinking of my own life, of where I'm coming from, a young man that lived on the street and my own family walked past me. And I intend to agree with Paul and saying, man, I'm not ashamed for the gospel. And how God has been opening doors for me to be able to speak in a place of Faroe Islands where they just surrounded by water, and God opened the door. I had somebody walking up to me and says, uh, you were the first black guy that arrived here in Faroe Islands in 2006, I think. It was the first time I arrived in Faroe Islands. 
18 islands just surrounded by water. And I had to write a letter to the church explaining to them what I believe and what is my doctrine. Because they've never had a black guy coming to the island. Isn't that interesting? And over the years and seeing how God has just been using this, this guy that comes from the street. And, and I did two conferences for them during Easter and before Easter. But Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed for this gospel because it's a power for those who believe in Christ. And then in Romans chapter 1, 10 to 11, uh, it is very clear that Paul has never been to, to the church. He's writing from afar off, but he's never been to the church. And in Romans chapter 1, 10 to 11, he says to the church, hey, pray with me. I am praying because I want to come. And when I come, I, I'm, I'm hoping to bring a good gift, some spiritual gifts, and that, that together we can share it. So Paul has never been to the church. And yet he's compelled and driven by the Holy Spirit to write it. And he's addressing some issues in the church, very specific. And some of those issues is still relevant for us today. And he's addressing some issues. And the issues that Paul is addressing in the Roman church, and now of course there's lots of different things that happen, but it's about two people groups. The one people group who have weak faith. And they allow the enemy to come and, and rob them. And, 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 and Paul is saying they know the truth, but they suppressed it and they do all these things. And it's not that they don't know because God made himself known to all of us through nature. And so there's no excuse. And the other group is the group I want to talk about, but they are the guys with the strong faith and ooh, you know, shame on you. And then, just before he moves to chapter 2, he addresses something much more serious. And he says to them that I want you to know that God is angry. Now, we can't imagine it because our picture of God is it's always a loving God that would come and love us and hold us and kiss us. But no... There's another side of God, and in verse 18, God is angry. He's angry with this church because they have no excuse. They're suppressing the truth. They actually know what is right. And then he says a few things there that I just want to mention, and then I go to my verses that I want to preach today on. I heard that today. Because it's Romans, you've allowed me to preach for two hours. Thank you so much. It's such a generous church. And then verses 18, he goes into it, and there's five things that I quickly want to pull out there, perhaps for that Paul is addressing why God is angry. God is angry because we do not respect him. In the way we live, we, we do not respect him, therefore he's angry. We actually know what is right, but we don't do it. The second thing, as he says, is because we refuse to worship him, and so we, we begin to worship idols and all different things. Now, in our language today, 
It's not idols like you have this little image there. Uh, our idol worship can be different things. It can be your home and it can be your language and it can be your culture and it can be different things that you have become and made such an idol and not willing to step down from it. And God's people is not worshiping Him, but they're worshiping idols. And God is angry, He's rough. And he want his people to worship him. And anything that we place above Jesus. Sometimes, Pastor, I'm talking to the young people here, but I look to you and I talk to my son. It's the name brands that we have. You know what I'm saying, young people? The name brand that we worship. Because we, we make such a big thing about it and we don't put God as first to be worshipped. It's all the stuff that we're holding on to. Sometimes when we open our cupboard, I remember I was studying the Bible in Cape Town, and God told me one day, He says, hey, I want you to give this guy a thousand rand. And I didn't know that I was worshipping money so much until when God said it. And when he said it, I, 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 I started to cry because I have, I have learned to obey God. But he said, I must give a thousand rand. And, and it was my colleague. My colleague was a white guy. And I cried when God said, give him the thousand rand. And here's why I cried. I grew up with a mentality that, that we should ask from white people, we should not give. Can I confess that? See, that's what I grew up with. And now God is saying, no, 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 I want to break, break that mentality. I want you to give him. And my thousand rand is my last money in my bank account. And God is telling me to give it to this young man. And then while I'm giving this self-pity party, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Self-pity party. <laughs> And God says, hey, I know you, my son. You, you will find ways of getting out of it. Just go to the bank and give John is his name. Just give John the thousand rand. And I went to the bank and I'm crying all the way, Pastor. And I draw the thousand rand. And, and I went and gave it to John with this really sad face. And I couldn't wait to go home that evening and lock my door because I knew I was going to have a great party. And I'm making myself ready, and I'm on the bed. And as I'm on the bed getting ready to have that self-pity, and I started to cry because I gave John a thousand rand. <laughs> and then God spoke to me then. He says, hey, my son, before you cry, can you do me a favor? Yeah, what is that, God? He says, just, just open your cupboard and take all your shoes and everything that you have. And I was staying alone in the room, and just put it down there. Just open the cupboard. And I open, open the cupboard and, and my shoes and everything is there. And I go to the bed and I'm ready to cry again. And he says, just, just before you do that, I just want to ask the question, Wilson, who provided that for you? Who provided that? <laughs> he says, so, so, so are you saying that when I ask you to give, that I can't give you tenfold of what I'm asking you to give? 
says, your problem is you have a spirit of poverty on your mind that you need to break on your life because you worship money and you always think that you don't have and that you are poor. And I want to break it and I want to set you free so that you can become somebody that worship me and that money will be your slave. And while I'm dealing with God on the bed and I'm sitting there and I'm crying, somebody pushed through the door an envelope. Now, I've been for many years in Youth with a Mission, 34 years, and we trust in God for everything that we, we have. We don't get a salary. And you can be intimate with God and you can be in the most holy place. When you see an envelope, you stop everything you do. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about here, church? Come on. You stop everything and you go and look to see if it's really what you think it is. If it's not, then you continue, you know, with whatever. And so there's the envelope coming through the door. I got off my bed and I'm thinking, I'm just going to grab it, go back to my bed. If it's not what I'm thinking it is, hey man, I've got a party. And I'm sitting on the bed and I open that envelope. And I have never seen so many notes jump out brand new. Ten times more than I have given to John. And God, and now I'm crying. <gasps> and God says, why are you crying now? Why are you crying, my son? Say, I'm God. Don't worship your bank account and don't worship your money and don't worship all these things. I want you to worship me. And I went on my knees and I repented. I said, God, forgive me. He's addressing the church and he says, man, you, you, I want your worship. I want your worship. And then I, wanna op I want you to open your Bibles in chapter 2. Verses 1, I'm coming to my text. Oh, don't worry, it will be just, uh, I'll make it one hour and sort of 50 minutes just before the two. Chapter 2. Now, can I make a confession here this morning? Even though I want to do it, I cannot, and, and I'm just going to have three verses that I want to read to you. Um, uh, I would love to do the whole chapter 2, but I want to just uh, have some time, a little bit, to stop at this. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who what? You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge, the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Let's go a little bit more. Thank you. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on the what? It's based on the truth. And then there's one more verse. Thank you so much for the guys in the back. You guys are holy there in the sound man. So when you are a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Question mark. So I want to talk about the power of judgment this morning. The power of judgment. Everybody say the power of judgment. The power of judgment. And the power of judgment is something that you don't want to be caught being involved with. I want to read in the Easy Bible, 
the easy English Bible, how they say it. So, church, I say this to each one of you. Now, this message is not for somebody that's not in the church, and it's not for your brother, your sister, and you know, your boyfriend that run away. It's for you. I say this to each one of you in the church, including the preacher. Do not judge other people. Point. Do not judge other people. Why not? Because if you decide that someone else has done a bad thing in your eyes, remember that you also do what? Remember you also do the what? The same things. You might not do the specific wrong same thing, but you, oh, let me ask it differently. Those who have never done something bad, please put up your hand. Thank you. I think I'm speaking to the right people. Because you, yourself, do something bad. What you are really saying, the good news, and the English version is saying, what you are really saying, church, is that God should punish you also. When you judge, when you think you're better than the pastor, then you are asking God to judge you also. And that's dangerous. When you judge someone, God will not punish them and forgive you. What he's saying is that it is so easy for us in the church that we want mercy for ourselves. But judgments for our brothers and sisters, are you guys with me? We want God to show mercy to us when we do something wrong. But we want God to judge those who's not line up the way we are. Judgment is one of the greatest traps of the enemy. I remember, or before I tell you the story, let me just say this. Judgment is what I call an invisible road. Can you stand up? Judgment is like this rope. Can you, can you put it around you? Um, judgment is like an invisible rope. When you judge somebody, wherever you go, you are pulling that person with you. Are you with me? You might not be seeing it because with the same judgment that I judge you, I will be judged. So wherever I go, can you follow me, son? I, I, know, I know you're a little bit strong. Push, push, push. I'm stronger than you. Let's see. Now, some of us don't know why we have not walked into the destiny that God has for us. Well, I tell you why. Because you are roped with judgment. 
with your turn. You are roped with judgment. And therefore, when you want to walk into the destiny that God has for you, you are pulled back by the judgment that you have brought over yourself. And don't think that you can ask God to judge and forgive you. You may be sitting down. You're stronger than that guy. What are you eating? You eat better stuff than him. It must be the putu. Some of you have heard my story. One of the ladies, when I walked in here, she said, oh, I, rem I remember you. Was it you, ma'am? She said, yeah, I remember you. You were the one with that ugly, bad you, um, childhood story. I said, yeah, that's me. That's me. You know the story, but I want to tell you something about that story that you haven't heard. So when my father found out that my mother was pregnant, he ran away. And I've never met my father up to this day. I never met my father. Now, I, I, have, I have already looked down and through this, this whole building when I came in. And when I came and stood here and I said, hello, what you didn't know was I was looking for him. And, sir, it can't be you. Because my, my father was black. So it cannot be you. But I was looking at three men. I thought, you qualify. <laughs> and I was looking at that gentleman. And I thought, uh-huh, uh-huh. If the color was different, I'd come and ask you. <laughs> Who are you? He ran away. And I remember the day that I sat next for a little mud house and I hated my father for running away. I can clearly remember it. I missed him and I hated him. And, 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 and I remember I cursed him and I, 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 I said everything to him that I don't want to mention here. And I blamed him and I judge him for not being there, and it was his fault that I grew up so poor. I was only 11 years old when I find and have my first shoes on. And then I got married with the most beautiful girl. I call her my Holy Spirit with two legs. Her name is Grace. You've met my wife. And then I would never forget the day when she came and with joy on her face, coming to tell me that she's pregnant with this guy. He's the big man in the house, the oldest. And I, I still remember her face, and she's so excited. Ooh, we're going to be parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I heard that, I can't remember even what I said that day. But I found myself in the bushes running away from that news. I was running away when she came and told me the news that she was pregnant. And I was in youth with a mission, biggest mission organization in the world. And do you know why I ran away? 
when I heard the good news of this beautiful, handsome son. And it just happened that he's in the church when I preached this this morning. Anybody knows why I ran away? I ran away that day because the very rope that I've roped around my father has full, come full circle. I just did the same thing he did when I find myself in the mountains, in the bush. It was there in the bush that God spoke to me and says, my son, what are you doing here? And all of a sudden, I reflect and I thought, what am I doing here? And God is saying that you have judged your father. You have judged your father for running away. And you have never broken that curse and that judgment over your father. And what you have roped yourself on is happening with you today. You're running away because you have judged your father for running away from you when you were pregnant. And now you're doing it with your son. And right there in the field, I fell on my knees. And I begin to repent. And I begin to ask God to set me free. Because the only way that I can be free from this rope. The only way I can be free from this rope. Is how? I can't hear you. Yes. Yes. There's no way you can untie it. The only way to untie it is to forgive. Forgiveness is the only key that God gave to us as Christians in the church. That's why this writer says, So, you want God to have mercy on you? I mean, you want God to judge them and what? And forgive you? No. No. And then he says in the last verse, God is a God of justice. God is a God of righteousness. God will judge those who judge. And so he's writing to the church. And he says to them, yeah, I'm aware of all these, uh, um, you know, and, and you know when you begin to read Romans, Paul begins to talk to this one group that, that, that think they have strong faith, and he says, hey, well, don't eat something that will make the other weaker ones stumble. Remember that scripture? And so he's addressing this whole challenge. Don't, don't do it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, NIV Bible. Here's what it says. Do not judge. And this is a message that comes across. And this is a message that I want to say to you as a church as you begin to read that, by, that book. One of the things that God has often spoke to and has addressed the most, more than adultery and more than, than alcohol and more than drugs and more than that is judgment. Because it has a way of roping yourself in and you can never have the freedom that God has intended for your life because you judge your fellow brothers and sisters. I want to take it one more further this morning. 
I want to challenge this church. It's a raptor. I said, don't read that book when you are having a heart full of judgment in this church. Can, can, I, can I say this with the love of God? And there's no condemnation. There's a way out. And the way out is to ask God to set you free from it. There's no condemnation in Romans chapter 8. Can you see that? There's so many things that he's preaching. There's no condemnation. And I don't want you to feel bad. I, I just want you to know. Because when we begin to judge one another in the church, we will never see growth in the church. We begin to stifle the spirit of the loving God that wants to move among us. Do I, do I talk to you this morning? Uh, can you hear me, church? I know it might not be nice, and I know some of you says, get behind me, Satan, but I'm here. At least for a few minutes left. One of the things that can rob the presence of God, one of the things, pastor, that can rob your church from growth, and that what God is intend is when we walk with hearts that is judging towards other people. We need to be careful. We have sent many people when we train them from Youth with a Mission, we send them home to their home churches. And then the pastor will phone me and says, what did you, what did you, what did you guys taught our, our you know, members in Wyoming? I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, they are walking in. And there's nothing in the church that we can do which they don't judge. They judge the way I preach, and they judge the way I do the worship, and they judge the way, and they judge this, and they judge that. And I said, ask them to leave the church, because that's never what we taught people. We're telling people to respect and honor. Sometimes it's easy that we can judge. Let's just use some examples here. Oh, but they don't do the worship the way we're doing it. When we were still doing the worship those years, the worship was soft. And, you know what I'm saying? But the worship now is a raptor. The pastor is not wearing... What is all those ropes that you have roped around you? That God wants to speak to you and say to you this morning, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure, you see, because God is judged. He's, I mean, he's just. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. So Paul is writing here to the church and he says to them, I want you to understand this. I'm going to end off. I want to send you home with five things that will help you as you begin to read um, the book. If you can quickly open your Bibles in Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 to 5. I am, I am adding Philippians into this this book this morning because it's such a powerful scripture that Paul is talking about. And after all, he's the, the writer. Philippians chapter 2, not 3. Philippians chapter 2. 
for my guys there in the back. Thanks. And here's what he says to the church in Philippi. Now think of you as a church. Do nothing of what? Of selfish ambition. Of selfish ambition. Of vain conceit. Rather, and then he used a word that I would like to give a little bit more meaning to it. Rather in humility. What, what does the word humility mean? Humility means to be known for who you really are without wearing masks. Can I say that again? Humility means to be really known for who you really are without wearing masks. He says in humility, and then he says something which I want to say to the church here this morning. Value... <laughs> I don't know what your translation is saying. Consider others better than yourself. Can you turn to somebody that sits next to you for a moment? Can you just turn to somebody next to you? Everybody. Can you turn to somebody next to you? I'll tell you what you need to say. You look to one another, right? Tell the person next to you, I'm better than you. No, no, no. That's not what I want you to say. You see, we're very quick to say that. Because that's how we judge people. We always think we're better than people. We always think that we can do things better. We always think my way is better. I want you to say to them, you are better than me. Oh, come on, say it with conviction. Uh, is that your son? Uh, is it difficult to say to your son that he's better than you, sir? He's a lot better than you. My son is a lot better than me. See, but you see, this is, this is strange. This is difficult because the world is exactly the opposite. He wants us to compete and judge all the time and find something wrong so that we can Put ourselves, thank you for preaching with me, man. Oh, I love you. Man, you are the kind of people I want in my church. No, she's preaching with me. Hallelujah. See, we, it's easy for us to put one another. I want to say something here to our white brothers and sisters, and I know I can say it with the love of the Lord. That's the trap that you always need to be checking out. Because that's the trap of the history of our country, apartheid, that wanted to exalt themselves above black people. And when you have a black man and a black woman leading the church, the trap is always in front of you. And you can fall into that. That you want to exalt yourself and think that you're better than them. Based on their culture, and based on his skill, and based on his English, and based on a lot of things. That's the trap of the enemy. Value others above yourself. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then he says, in your relationships with one another. Here it comes. 
I don't like that translation. I would burn it, but of course I'm joking in the back. <laughs> in your relationships with one another, here it comes. You should have the attitude that Christ Jesus had. You should have in your relationships the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And the question is for us to go and think, what is that attitude? Let me just give you a few things and I'm finished. Pastor, I'm sorry I'm over the time, but just a few. If you want to write it down, here's a few things that will help you on your way as you read Romans, not to judge. Number one, I'm taking it out from Philippians. Number one, is our intentions matter. Our intentions does matter. That's very important that we need to know what our intentions matter. Number two, doesn't matter who it is. If it's that guy on the street that you are driving at the robot, whoever it is, that we have to value other people higher than ourselves. That we need to see value in other people. That when I work with you, ma'am, uh, sir, that I would respect you and value you for who you are and for who God has made you. I don't know you, but you are a good man. And I do respect you. See, that's what we need to do. We need to value other people higher. Number three. Number three. It is so easy that we begin to only care about ourselves. We want certain things to change because when it changes, I'm comfortable with it. But we never think of other people. So number three will be, be mindful of others. Is, is that okay to say it? Be mindful of others. How do other people feel? What kind of worship one other people wants? What is it that I will have to let go and die about it? Because it's not all about me. It's about other people and the interest of other people. Second last one. Second last one. It's so important that sometimes God gives us platforms. All of us gives us platforms that we have. Use your platform to serve other people. Or let me use it differently. Use your leadership to serve other people. Use your position to serve the kingdom. Are you guys with me? That sometimes God elevates us to a place. Took me 15 years plus to come into Faroe Islands. Everybody that's born in Faroe Islands is Lutheran. I'm the only African that they ever had that has been coming for this amount of years from outside. They're surrounded by water. And when God opened the door for me, I used my position for the openness for the gospel to come so that it's not just me, so that you can come and you can come and you can, you see what I'm saying? 
And I try to help them to say, even if people are different, different is not wrong. Can I say it again? Different is not wrong. Use your platform that God has given you. Oh, and I want to finish, and I can hear some of you are going like, Amen. Amen. Always take the lowest position in the room. That's what Jesus taught us. If you want to be the greatest, you must become the the servant of all. Always take the least position. And my son asked me, why are you going to sit in the back this morning? Shouldn't you sit in front? I said, no. I should not sit in front just because I'm preaching. Because when I say amen here, I am no different than you, man. We are all God's children. Just because I'm preaching here today doesn't make me more special. Isn't it true? I want to pray for you. Can we all stand? I'm finished. I am, I'm always conscious about time. And uh, please forgive me again, but I want to quickly pray for the church. Father, as we journey through the book of Romans, this next couple of weeks, I pray for revelation. Revelation of who you are. Revelation of who I am in you. And revelation of the people around me. My neighbor. Lord, show us. Lift the veil from us. Let us see you in a way we have never seen you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to us as we talk about the power of judgment, that we would be quick to repent, that we would be quick as a church to ask you to forgive us if there's any judgment in our hearts. So that you can come and dwell freely here in our midst in this church. So we pray for everyone standing here this morning. Lord, would you come and speak to us? Father, whatever it is that you have convicted us, give us the grace that we would walk through. If we have to go to somebody else and ask for forgiveness, that you would give us the grace to do that. I pray it in your name and all God's people say, Amen. May the Lord bless you. Thank you so much. Pastor, over to you. Thank you, Wilson. It's lovely. I pray that you may have a blessed weekend and then you can enjoy the cup of tea around. But first of all, if you're really struggling with forgiveness, please come to us and we can pray for you. And then maybe the Lord bless you and have a lovely week. In Jesus' name, amen.